0: Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Um, This has nothing to do with my talk, but I just want to share this thought with you that I had yesterday. And that is that celebration is the culture of heaven and joy is the soundtrack. And um, if you're going through some stuff today, you know, I don't know what life might be like for you. I just would encourage you to rejoice and give thanks because the enemy just can't have a stronghold in your life when you are found rejoicing, because it is the culture of heaven. Amen? Great. Okay. So uh, today we're going to continue with the series on um, how to pray. And uh, does anyone know the answer yet? (laughs) Ooh, prophecy and prayer. You see, um, sometimes we um, pray all sorts of things, don't we? You know, sometimes it could be one situation, we're binding things, loosening things, praying that God makes a way, praying that we have strength to endure. We're praying everything in the hope that one of them lands, you know? But actually... um, there's this other way of praying called crafted prayer where you stop and you hear God's voice and you pray in accordance with that. Sometimes we panic prayer and we should prophetically pray. And um, the Bible says that Jesus is interceding for us right now. Right now, Jesus is interceding for you. And there's a conversation going on in heaven over your life right now. And if you're curious like me, you'll be asking, what are they talking about? What is Jesus interceding for, you know? What is the conversation, the heavenly dialogue over my life? What is it? Because I want to know what it is. There's this verse in Isaiah 55 verse 3 and it says, Incline your ear, come to me, hear, and your soul shall live. Incline your ear, come to me, hear, and your soul shall live. And there is something that happens when you hear the voice of God that it transforms your life. Would you agree with that? Yeah. When you hear the voice of God, it's as if your soul is um, rejoicing again because it has heard the voice of its creator. Um, And so I want to unpack with you, how do we pray prophetically? Like, how do we do it? How do we hear God's voice and pray in an alignment with that? How do we take part in the heavenly conversation of your life right now? How do we do it? (laughs) Does anyone know? (laughs) No, I'm joking. That was a joke. Okay, so 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles... 1 Samuel chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to 10. Okay. It says The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. <laughs> then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Amen. Um, I want to start off by talking to you about the lamp of God. Okay, so it says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, the lamp of God would light up the interior of the tabernacle. So it would light up the interior of the tabernacle, but it would also serve as a reminder to the Israelites that God was their source of light. And light has two purposes. Firstly, it expels darkness. You know, where light is, darkness cannot exist. You know, if you walk into a room and you're holding a candle, all around the candle will be light. You know, it cannot Darkness cannot exist where light is, which is why when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he was saying, in me, there is no darkness. So light expels darkness, but also light leads to revelation. You know, if you walk into a room and the light's off, you can't see anything. Um, But if you turn the lights on, you'll see the original design of the room the light the lamp of god would light up the interior of the tabernacle and revealing the revelation of who god was and is and to behold something you have to see it in the light so light expels darkness but it also leads to revelation and in verse 1 and 2 we read that visions were rare in that time And also, Eli, who was a priest, it says that his eyes were growing weak. Now, that might be physical, because he was probably getting on a little bit. But I think it's spiritual more than anything. And I think there's a connection between Eli's eyes growing weak and the fact that there were no visions in those days. And the context of the time was that Eli's sons, who were also priests, were breaking priestly law. So I think it's in yeah, chapter two. You read about what they were doing. They were, they were quite corrupt and they were not honoring God the way that they should. They didn't take their duty serious enough and therefore they were living lives that were corrupt. And Eli knew that and he came and he rebuked them, but he never enforced the consequence. And the consequence in that time was that if priests were breaking that law, they were cast out of the community. Now, Eli was grieved by the acts of his sons, but they weren't grieved enough, you see. And so he rebukes them, but he didn't cast them out of the community. He didn't enforce consequence. It goes on to say that a man of God came to Eli and said, you know, because of what's happened, your time will be cut short and God will place the anointing on someone else's life. We later know that to be Samuel And so at the time, there was a preoccupation amongst Eli's family with darkness to the point where they grew dim to the truth of the light. Does that make sense? I start off by talking about this because I'm not trying to highlight Eli to be a bad person because I think we've all got tendencies to look at darkness and not light. So he's not a bad person, but I start with it because I want to acknowledge the finished work of Christ today. You see, because of what Jesus has done, he has restored us back to communion with our almighty God. You know, when you read the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, you read that, you know, we were created for intimacy with God. This picture of them walking hand in hand in the Garden of Eden together, hearing God's voice unhindered by sin and shame. You know, they were walking hand in hand with their creator. And that is how we've been called to live And Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has restored back to us the ability to hear God's voice. Amen? Amen. And so it's important that we acknowledge that none of this is by our own strength. You can't hear God's voice because you're a good person. Because you're good, but you're not that good. You know, (laughs) it don't work like that. You hear God's voice because Jesus has made a way for you to hear God's voice. It's good news, isn't it? And so whilst we know that we get to live in communion with God, whilst we know that we get to walk in intimacy with God, truthfully and if we're honest with ourselves, so often we live outside of that reality. You know, we know the presence of God is here, but so often we don't live like he's here. And so I want to talk to you about how do we do it? How do we stay in that place of communion with God? How do we hear his voice? How do we then pray prophetically? My first point is that we must learn to practice his presence. You see, in the midst of all the corruption in Eli's family, there was Samuel, a young boy, and it says in verse 3, who was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, the ark of God was the presence of Almighty God. It would be in this little box. I'm not doing that justice, but it was in this box. And that's the presence of God. And and Samuel was found lying down next to the presence of God. He'd not yet heard his voice, but there was something about his presence that compelled him. The presence of God is powerful in 2 Samuel 6, we read this story of how uh, King David was going on this journey. And he took the ark of God um, on this journey with him. Usually, you know, they take it into battle and things like that. Um, and there was fights over the ark of God, over the presence of God. Anyway, on this one journey, King David was, um, he got some men to carry the ark of God on this journey and and the ark began to slip and as it slipped, this man who was holding, you know, the thing to hold on to it, touched the ark and died instantly. You know, the ark of God began to slip. He touched it and he died instantly. Such was the power of the presence of God that if he touched it, he died. After that, Um, King David got a bit frightened, as you would. And so he asked for the ark of God to be kept in the house of Obed-Edom. Now, put yourself in Obed-Edom's shoes, okay? You've just heard the news that someone touched the ark of God and died instantly. And now King David's knocking at your door saying, do you mind if we keep it here? Can you imagine? I said in the first service, you would not do your dusting, would you? You know, you'd keep your cloths away. (laughs) He would have had to have a strong word with the kids, don't go near it. It's not a toy, don't play with it. (laughs) Everything would have changed to have the ark of God dwell in your house. Can you imagine it? The pressure, the fear and the reverence he must have felt. You know, he did not take that lightly. For three months, the ark of God was in his house. And it says that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. And when you track his story, you see that he actually went on to be A gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. He was a worshiper and an all round lover of God's presence. He'd encountered something in those three months where the presence of God dwelt in his house and it changed him forever. And he couldn't go back. He dedicated his whole life to the presence of God because something had happened in those three months with the presence dwelling in his house that changed him forever. And the truth is, is that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you and I get the Holy Spirit, the presence of God dwelling within us today. The same power that conquered death itself lives in you and lives in me. The presence of God no longer dwells in a box. It dwells within. And the interesting thing about the story of Obed-Edom is that he would have had to have make adjustments for the presence of God. He would have had to move things out the way to have the presence of God in his house. And if we have the presence of God dwelling in our lives, what are we moving out the way? What are we moving out the way to host his presence? Um, we need to practice his presence you see whilst we know his presence dwells within so often we live outside of that reality so how do we how do we practice his presence you know how do we become a wholehearted lover of God's presence um the first thing for me is that um we must be quick to forgive that's not the message a lot of you wanted to hear (laughs) I get that (laughs) we must be quick to forgive um I've learned this over, you know, the last few weeks in my own life, that you could read your Bible every day. You could wake up early and pray. You could fast. But if you have unforgiveness in your heart, it is a hindrance. Forgiveness is central to the gospel. When you read the gospel, you read forgiveness is everywhere. You know, when Jesus healed someone, he would say, Your sins are forgiven. They weren't even there for that. (laughs) And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. You know, when Jesus was dying on a cross, what did he say? He said, Lord, forgive them. Because forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. Um, On Monday, uh, me and Pastor Simon were praying together. And I got this picture of this heart. And like a thorn was piercing the heart. And the heart just healed around the thorn. It became hard and it just it healed around the wound. And I just felt like that was offense and unforgiveness. You know, that was piercing the heart. And the longer you leave like your heart in a state of unforgiveness, the harder it becomes. Because forgiveness is the way of God. And so when you choose to, to walk in unforgiveness... Well, you're choosing your flesh above your spirit. You know, you are here today because God chooses to forgive you. And yet, for some reason, we think we have a right to hold unforgiveness towards others. And we're so wrong, you know. We're so wrong. We need to be quick to forgive. And that is a daily thing that we have to choose. Um, earlier like last week I think it was I was interested to know how much my car was worth I was curious you know I wanted to know will I be a billionaire (laughs) no I will not (laughs) Uh, no I'm joking but I was interested to know how much my car was worth so like any good person I went to we buy any car (laughs) because, you know, know, they have them dotted around on car parks. Yeah, so I went to one, and I didn't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't what I got. And, um, you know, I was there chatting to this guy, and he was so rude to me. Oh, I kid you not. He was so rude to me. And, you know, in the moment where you can't think of anything witty to say, so you just take it, and you're like, okay. And I was like, have a nice day. And then I, I came out and I was sat in the car park and I'd thought of all these great comebacks, you know, and I was ready to go. And so I literally got out of my car and I was like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to say something to him. I'm going to be like, you've lost your best customer. <laughs> that was the extent of the comeback. But I was ready, you know, I was proper ready to go. And I was like, I just need some moral support. So I called my mother and I was like... <laughs> I was like, come on, mum, help me out. I was like, mum, I'm going back. I'm going. I'm going to say something. Who does he think he is talking to me like that? And she went, you're not going to go back, Becca. And I was like, I am, mum. I'm going. She went, I wouldn't advise it if I were you. And I was like, no, I am. I am. And she was like, no, you're not. And I realized I weren't getting anywhere with my mum. So I said, put dad on phone. And I was like, Dad, I'm going back. I'm going to say something. <laughs> oh, it's so funny when I think about it. I was literally in Sainsbury's car park. Like, I'm going I'm to say something. <laughs> like, who do I think I am? And um, I was like, Dad, I'm going to go. I'm going to say something. And he said to me, no, you're not. And I said, no, I am. And he said to me, don't lose his presence. And I was like, Phew. And I said to him, I already have. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Obviously, you can't lose God's presence. It's not like you can lose your phone or your car keys, you know. You can't lose God's presence. But you can definitely lose a sense of God's presence. You know, God never changes his proximity towards you. You know, he doesn't change his mind about you. He decided you were good and he paid the price to come and rescue you. He is in passionate pursuit of you. No matter what you've done, you might think you're the worst person in the world or maybe you wear a badge of pride. You know, whoever, whatever you've done, whatever scars you may bear from life's wounds, God is in passionate pursuit of you. That is the gospel that God loves you so much he sent his one and only son to die for you because he passionately loves you and he wanted you back in communion with himself. So God doesn't change his proximity to you, but so often we change our proximity to him. And what I mean by that is so often we spend our time looking at things that don't matter, spending time preoccupied by things that don't count towards eternity. You know, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, but we're also flesh. You know, and um, in Galatians, it writes about, it writes, Paul writes about, Um, the fruits of the spirit. And then he writes about the flesh, you know, which is rage and anger and malice and deceit. And it says this at the end, I think it's Galatians 5, I don't know. It says, so therefore walk in step with the spirit. It's like you have to actively choose to walk in step with the spirit, which means you have to weaken your flesh and strengthen your spirit. It means that we have to stop doing things that our flesh wants us to do and start doing things that the Spirit wants us to do. And being quick to forgive is one of those things that the Spirit wants for your life. Because unforgiveness hurts nobody apart from yourself. And it makes you hard towards God. And we want to be soft and sensitive to his voice. If you want to hear his voice and live in communion with him, choose forgiveness today because it is the heart of the gospel. We must also learn to hate what he hates and love what he loves. You know, we all have um, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us and there is um, like a conviction that comes with that. Have you experienced that before? Yeah, it's not condemnation, that's not how it works, it's conviction. The Holy Spirit will say, don't do that, don't say that, shut your mouth, don't say that. (laughs) Maybe not quite like that, but it feels like that. (laughs) Um, Say this, you know, do that. You know, it's, it's the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to be so quick to hear what he's saying and follow in obedience. And sometimes we're good at this, and sometimes we're not so good. Shall I share the story? Uh, I've got a story, but um, it do not make me look good again. <laughs> it's okay, I'll, I'll share it anyway. <laughs> it's the perfect example. So, um, a few months ago, I had a bag of buttons. Not sewing buttons, Cadbury's chocolate buttons. And not a small kid-sized bag. Don't play games. It was a sharing bag. (laughs) You all know what I mean. (laughs) And it was like a Saturday night, and I was really excited because I was watching telly, and I had my bag of buttons. And I literally sat down, and I opened them, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, don't eat that. And I was like, oh, what? (laughs) It was like, don't eat that. So guess what? I ate it. (laughs) And you know what? I was so poorly after. I was so poorly. And I I remember being like, if only I'd have listened to God. He was telling me, he was literally saying, Becca, don't eat that. It's really bad for you. You won't feel well. And I just ignored him and carried on. And I share that story um, to say, we've all done it, guys. (laughs) Um, But we should be so quick to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit for our lives. Um, when you read Samuel's journey, you know, you see that he went on to be, you know, quite significant in the, the story of King David because he was the one that anointed him to be king. And when you read that chapter, I, I'm sorry, I don't have the chapter to my head, but when you read that chapter of Samuel anointing David, what you read is dialogue taking place between Samuel and God. It's like remarkable when you read it, but it's literally, you know, Jesse was presenting the sons and all of them looked decent and and Samuel heard the voice of God say, it's not, not him, it's not him, it's not him. And and you see that he was living in this heavenly dialogue with Almighty God to the point where when there was no other sons there, which was a lie because Jesse had one more son, which was, of course, David, um, Samuel was able to ask where's your other son? And here comes David, who didn't look much. You know, he didn't look like a king. And the most unlikely candidate, and to the flesh, everyone was like, nah, he's not the one. But to the spirit, there was a yes over his life. And Samuel was the one to get to anoint him. And that's because he was obedient to the voice of God. And he learned to be obedient from dwelling in the presence of God from an early age. You know, he'd become familiar with the sound of God. He'd become familiar with the sense of his presence. And he couldn't live without it. And because he'd become familiar with it, God entrusted him with the small but also the big matters of history. And if we're willing to follow the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, who knows what adventure he will take you on. Your journey is not done yet. There is more to come and you need to just learn to hear the Holy Spirit say yes to things, you know, let him lead you and guide you and trust that his plans for you are good. That Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. And therefore, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, guiding you, it is to lead you to fullness. So from this place of dwelling and resting in the presence of God, Samuel heard the Lord speak to him. Um, And today, there is an invitation over your life to join a heavenly dialogue, but it starts in the presence of God. It says that once um, Samuel had heard the call, in verse 21, it says that God revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Um, So he'd heard the call of God, he'd responded, and then God revealed himself to Samuel through the word. And if we want to learn the voice of God We've got to become lovers of his word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Scripture is the word of God. It is God's voice. And if we want to become familiar with what he sounds like, we've got to read the Bible. Across the world, in various countries, people are getting persecuted because they have a Bible in their house. People have to hide it, because if if they don't, they'll lose their life. You know, this is serious. And yet in our country... (laughs) We have the freedom to stand on street corners and read from Scripture. We could hand it out to anyone we like. We could leave it in a library. I don't know if that's illegal or not. I don't know. You could leave it in a library. You could read it in a coffee shop. And yet we, we don't really live like that. This is the Word of God. If you're sat here wondering, I wonder what God's saying to me. Open up your Bible. <laughs> I'm really passionate about this. Um, you know, we do a kids' club on a Friday. Well, um, for the last two years, you know, we do, like, memory verses and stories and stuff from the Bible. Because a lot of them are kids from outside of church. Uh, But we really wanted them to, like, get trained in hearing the voice of God. And so we, you know, run through prayer with them as, like, this opportunity for them to sit and hear what God is saying. And um, sometimes it works really well. (laughs) And sometimes... I think, oh, okay. Like, for example, one girl, I don't know if you remember this, Aline, one girl said, um, I heard God tell me that I'm going to get a really good birthday present. (laughs) And I was like, ooh. (laughs) Then I was praying, God, I pray she gets a really good birthday present. (laughs) Um, But generally, you know, the things that they come out with, I'm like, yeah, that's Jesus. That sounds like Jesus, you know. um, And you can see on their faces, They're encountering Jesus because they'll start smiling with their eyes closed. And I think, oh, that's beautiful. Um, But I I became aware that I really want children to know the word. And um, so we started this um, thing over the summer, Bible club over the summer. And we gave out Bibles to some of the children that didn't have them. And this one girl came over to me and said, what shall I read? So I said, Mark's gospel. Start with the gospel. Read Mark. And then it must have been three weeks later, bearing in mind she's like seven years old, three weeks later she came to me and she said, I've read it, Uh, what shall I read next? (laughs) And I just thought that was amazing, you know, I just thought she's hungry for the word. Um, I've noticed in my own life and in the lives of others that when someone becomes hungry for the spirit, they also become hungry for the word. I don't want to embarrass him, but um, <laughs> we've got a young person. Well, he's not young anymore. Um, a young adult called Isaac. And um, he's become hungry for the spirit. Like, really hungry for the spirit. And at the same time, I see in his life, he's also hungry for And at Limitless Festival, <laughs> he came over to me and said, Becca, I've read Job 1-5. to And I said, oh, yeah. And he said, I would recommend, (laughs) and then he just walked off, (laughs) but I thought to myself, you know what, yeah, he's hungry for the spirit, and he's also hungry for the word, because the word and the spirit come together, you can't really live separately, they come together, they marry together, the word and the spirit, in fact, the Bible is called the sword of the spirit, we need to start treating it like that. And if you don't know how to pray, can I encourage you to pray scripture? Because something happens when we pray the word of God. Um, This happened to me this morning, actually, and I'd had a bit of a a rough night. Uh, I just felt really just some crazy, vivid dreams, and it just felt bonkers. And um, I woke up and I was a little bit distressed. I think because I live on my own, it's a little bit more like, oh "Oh, dear. Um, So I was, I woke up and I was a little bit distressed and um, I came and I sat down with Jesus and I did not know what to say to him. And I just felt him say, read Psalm 23. Sounds like, okay. And as I did, I started to pray over my life. You know, I wasn't like casting things out or you know I wasn't prayer marching around my house it wasn't anything like that I was just quietly sat there and in my head I was going you know God you are my shepherd and you I lack nothing you know and I was praying out scripture you know God you do prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and as I you know got all the way through Psalm 23, you know, I trust God that your goodness and mercy will follow me, it will follow me, I declare it will follow me all the days of my life. You know, I declare I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as I started to do that, and as I started to proclaim it over my life, my soul found rest. And this sense of distress lifted because I'd found what I was looking for. And that's what happens when you pray scripture. There's this beautiful verse that says, return to your soul, because, oh, return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. And this morning, I just felt really strongly, like, you know, praying scripture can transform your life. You know, going back to Isaiah 55, come to me, incline your ear, come to me here, and your soul shall live. And scripture is the bread of life. It's what you need. it's what we all need and so if you want to hear what God is saying open up your Bible if you're unsure open up your Bible and what I found in my own life is that the word says yes to the things the spirit has said in my heart you know he says yes to it it's like an agreement that takes place and it's got a verse for every season under the sun. And it withstands every generation. I just think it's time that it took its place back in our hearts again. If I'm being honest, it needs to take its place in our hearts again. For so many of us, we just put it to one side. But it is the, the living word. It is alive. It is active. And it changes everything. So I'll see you at the Bible study. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um. Yeah, if you want to hear what the Lord is saying to you, then I believe it starts by dwelling in the presence of God. And to dwell in his presence, we must learn to practice his presence. Being quick to forgive, you know, trusting the leading, the guiding of his spirit, doing everything we can to weaken our flesh and strengthen our spirit. That's how we practice his presence. And if you want to pray prophetically, I would say, learn to pray scripture. Speak it over your life. It is truth. Every lie of the enemy is destroyed in the face of scripture. It cannot withstand. Scripture is true. And if you're unsure what's true, open up your Bibles. Speak it over your life. It'll change everything. Then we become familiar with this sound. We become familiar with God's voice. We become familiar with God's heart. And we learn to pray in an alignment with that. Shall we pray together? Yeah, God, we um, say thank you for um, the truth of who you are today, God. I want to say thank you for the finished work of Jesus that has put paved a way for us to have relationship with the father we say thank you that today we get to hear your voice and walk in step with your spirit we say thank you jesus for your finished work on the cross when you said it is finished you meant it jesus you took every ounce of sin and shame and you nailed it to the cross we're here because you forgive us and continuously forgive us jesus we say thank you and today we let go of unforgiveness. If there's something that you need to forgive or someone you need to forgive, just put your hand on your heart for me. Yeah, God, in this moment, I ask Holy Spirit that you might pull out that thorn that might have made its way into our heart, Jesus. And we choose in this moment to give people the gift of forgiveness. And we ask God that as you do that, would you make our hearts more like you? Make us soft and sensitive to your spirit. And we give, we give them back. Like we give that person back to you, Jesus. We give them back to you. We place them in your hands and we recognize that unforgiveness hurts no one but ourselves. And Jesus, I pray that we would be Lovers of your presence. I pray, God, that we would um, follow the leading and the guiding of your spirit all the days of our life. I pray, God, that we would become lovers of the word. Right now, Jesus, stir up something in our hearts that makes us desperate for your word. Train us and teach us your voice. Make us like Samuel, you know, sensitive to your spirit. Yeah, God, when we've uh, made the Bible the second thing in our life, God, forgive us. We put it back where it deserves. We recognize its authority and its power. And we choose to be lovers of your presence and lovers of your word. And use us, God, for your kingdom. As we hear your voice, would you take us places we never thought we would go? As we say yes to your spirit, God, may you take us on a life of adventure. And I just want to read this over you. This was given to me this morning. Um, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14.